0: Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now. It's at the time to where I provide the formal introduction of our guest co host for this week, and I'm so excited um, to welcome Dr. Mika Nebelit. And so as I usually do, I'm going to read her bio because it's important for you all to know the credentials, the accolades, the experiences that our co-hosts show up to the podcast Conversation. Board Certified in Emergency Medicine, Dr. Mika Nebalit has extensive experience as a leader overseeing medical staff. She is currently serving as the Chief Medical Officer for Community Medical Center and RWJ Barnabas Health Facility in Toms River, New Jersey. And that's off the Jersey Shore, for those of you who may not be familiar. Prior to coming to the Community Medical Center, she was the Chief Medical Officer of Hoboken University Medical Center. And she worked as an associate professor and attending physician at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Dr. Neblett earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Biology and Spanish from Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She earned a Doctorate of Medicine degree from Howard University College of Medicine and a Master of Science in Management with a concentration in healthcare from New York University Wagner School of Public Service. Dr. Neblett completed residency in emergency medicine at Brooklyn Hospital Center and has had the privilege to practice medicine in Okinawa. Cape Town, Zimbabwe, and Ghana. Help me to welcome our guest co-host today. Find those emojis, find those words of affirmation and those reactions, but help me to welcome in the chat and in the comments, our guest co-host for today, Dr. Um, Mika Neblet. I'm gonna stop sharing my screen so that she and I both can be um, in spotlight and in community with each other as we share space, time, and really just delve into what I know is going to be a great conversation. So welcome, Mika. So glad you're here today. Thank you for accepting our invitation. And one of the things that we do here before we delve into all of the details about, you know, one's journey and all the different things that they came to share with our, our podcast community is for our guest co-host to share with us maybe something that we would not know by reading their bio or by going to their LinkedIn profile. So this is your opportunity to greet the audience in whatever way that feels appropriate, sharing whatever you think would be um, of interest and um, to this community. So thanks again for being here. Welcome. Thank you,
1: Nika. Thank you for having me today. Um, only two things I can think of to add, just to uh, uh, feel connected to others. One, I am originally from a little town called Randolph in Boston, which is just south of Boston, Massachusetts. So I'm I'm a Northeast girl through and through. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing which is important to note is that I turned 50 last year. And as soon as I turned 50, I decided it was the every single year I was going to do something on my bucket list. So last year I went on a safari in Kenya and it it was absolutely amazing. If you're blessed to be able to do it, I was blessed. Then I I highly recommend it. And so this year I am running the New York city marathon. So, so I am in insane training and crazy. And before this, I'd never ran more than six miles. So Um, I'm up to I think it was 16 last weekend. So I'm I'm, I'm getting up to 26.2. But that's my bucket list for this year. And I'll find another one next year.
0: That is amazing. I'm I'm a few years away from um 50, but um, you're giving me some ideas. But I love the idea of doing something very extravagant and really meaningful for for your 50th year. And so yeah. so thanks so much for sharing that. That is that is um that's quite amazing. Um, so I want to I want to get this other question out of the way too, because I'm sure a lot of people are maybe holding this in mind. You know, we have seen a resurgence in in COVID, and um, we're going to talk all about your background, but. What should people be mindful of right now, um, related to the COVID resurgence and maybe the new vaccines? Share whatever you can with this community, please.
1: Yeah, sure, definitely. This fall, late summer, early fall, we are seeing a rise in COVID. That that everyone has heard about that. It's on the news. If you work in healthcare, it, it's increasing admissions as well. Um, number one importance is everyone needs to live their life. Let's just be as normal as possible at all times. Um, if you are in a circumstance where you feel like you're going to be really around a lot of people with people close to you and you don't know anything about them, there is never a shame to wear a mask if you if you feel like you want to or need to. No shame whatsoever. Um, and especially if you have loved ones that are higher risk with with lung disease, heart disease, cancer, they're immunocompromised, you might want to ask them to wear a mask just out of pure protection. Yeah but right now let's live our lives. And when the vaccine comes out, this new vaccine should be coming out. They're trying to, to make sure that it's working on whatever new strains have come out in the last year. Um, if you feel so inclined, go ahead and get it. I will get it, um,
0: but that's that's my recommendation. Yep. I, I too plan to get it. And um, thank you for sharing this insight and information with us. You heard it here. Live your life. I love that. Live your life and, and certainly respect the decision of individuals who may mask up. We don't know their circumstances, but yes, respect those decisions. And so great. Thank you so much. Um, so let's delve into your DEI journey. When did you begin to see the need for DEI training or learning experiences in the medical profession?
1: So, uh, so I was thinking about this question, and it started off thinking about it that when did I first realize that diversity and understanding diversity and seeing diverse population was important? And I remember we're going way back. I remember when I was a kid, about seven or eight years old, I was out somewhere at a farm, uh, like a just like a fair, and there was a picture of you know the rainbow colored picture of all the beautiful babies of different shades going across. And I remember someone saying that that was a shame. That that was where we were going to be. Um, and I was a little kid, and I remember thinking that that's not a shame. That's exactly who we should be. Um, we're we're going to look different every 10, 20, 30 years when we yeah. really look at the race ethnicity breakdown of our of the United States. It's going to be completely different, but it makes sense and it's beautiful. And if we don't embrace. Um, um, And encourage a diverse environment, then the rest, those who aren't will be left behind. So for the the medical part of it, it is no different than any other community, any other business opportunity, any other enterprise, it needs to reflect who we actually are. Um, We can't have just white people in one environment, just black people in another environment and not just race, but but religion and culture and and any other identity that you have every environment should be diverse so that we can respect those who are coming into our space.
0: Yeah, no, very, very, very well stated. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So um, I want to talk about health equity. And um, I want you to help us to understand during the time in which you were practicing medicine in Okinawa um, and then Zimbabwe and then Ghana, what are some of the differences that you noticed and observed that would be of of interest to this community and just understanding?
1: Yeah. So um, so I've had the, the privilege to travel around the world and, and practice medicine in different parts. I think the different parts of Africa were really the most most poignant for me and most meaningful. So I, um, I was able to deliver babies in Zimbabwe. I lived there for three months in the summer and worked at a hospital. And that experience is so beautiful. And the experience of delivering babies there is very different than here. Um, here it often feels so clinical and there's all these people around you. And, and over there, uh, the hospital that I was working at is, was run by nuns and the room mm. where everyone was delivering in was a glass encased room. And you mm. hear the nuns like singing as you're walking yeah. by and, uh, the women would, would deliver their babies. And then, Koto um, means congratulations in, in mm-hmm. Shona, which is the, per, which is the language there one of the languages there um, and the woman would deliver as long as there was no issue there was not an intervention with us left as a natural process people would be around so the baby would deliver we'd yell put the baby right on the belly and walk away so it was Mm. a much beautiful natural process but let's get to the health equity part so one of the reasons why I was there was to analyze the uh, reasons for preterm delivery in women. So a yeah. lot of women there were delivering early. And the number one reason was because they had to get back out to the field. They were uh, not yeah spend the time with, with the, there was no work-life balance or no work-life harmony that they had to get back out and start and continue to work. So they wanted to make sure they had their babies early. Um, and so they were actually eating a certain root to try to induce labor. So there was yeah. some definite education that that mm-hmm. was needed yeah. about why it's important to maintain the full thirty-eight to forty weeks of a delivery and okay. not of the pregnancy and not get out early. So, so the health equity for that was a little bit of health literacy and understanding. Um, And I found that they weren't um, as empowered to advocate for themselves, find a lot here also um, in the States that, that, that it's something called testimonial injustice, where they're just not uh, comfortable sharing their testimony because they feel that they will be not believed by the medical profession. Um, So I found that over there quite a bit. That's, that's the Zimbabwe part. Um, the Ghana was a completely different story because Ghana wasn't working in a hospital. Ghana was actually real grassroots mission. And mm-hmm. um, we were in a very rural part of Ghana where there's very little transportation, um, and not always running water, not electricity, not everybody has a phone. So the, there wasn't a lot of preventative care. Um, and not a lot of education on, on your own health needs and, and anything else that needed to be done. So a lot of what we did when we were there was, um, just teaching them about their own bodies was just teaching Mm -hmm. them about how to brush their teeth and teaching them about, um, of, you know, how to clean this wound or, or how to take care and make sure you take your medication for your diabetes and et cetera. It was just really, really basic. So some of the, social determinants of health or health related social needs that were over in third world countries are more exaggerated than what we have here, but yeah. it's the same. It's health. Yeah. It's transportation. It's, it's support and, and of, of what your own needs are. Um, I think I spoke a
0: mouthful Nika. I'm sorry. I should have breathed a little bit. <laughs> no, No, do not apologize at all. This was really interesting. I enjoyed hearing about the differences in practicing medicine in some of those those countries that you had the the privilege of spending some time in and supporting the the community members. I am curious about because you mentioned social determinants. We're going to get there next, but I would love for you to speak just a little bit, um, Mika, about how did you prepare yourself? How does one prepare themselves to go into these third world countries to practice medicine? when maybe that lens is so vastly different from how you've been practicing medicine, like in the States, talk a little bit about that in your preparation.
1: So, um, I didn't prepare if that, if that, if that's hard to believe okay. but there, that it just, you, you go there with an open mind, knowing yeah. you will have to do whatever you have to do. Yeah. Um, and the, the, you know, it wasn't like, okay, I don't know what's going on. Let's just order an x-ray and a CAT scan, an MRI and all these things. It's back to the basics of medicine, of listening to your patient, listening to their lungs, touching their belly, actually just doing the real medicine that we often have moved away from in this country um, because we have so much advanced technology at this point, but um, so many things we can do just with our, our hands and, and just the basics, the stethoscope, that's really all you need.
0: <laughs> okay. No, that's great. You used language that I, I took note of testimonial injustice. And, and while you were speaking about it, as it relates to, uh, you know, women, particularly women of color, being able to articulate their experience and be believed, I mean, that in and of itself, taking it out of the context of like the, the medical field, um, that happens day in and day out in all types of environments, right? And so I, I, I appreciate um, the opportunity just to amplify that. Um, you know, part of the education has to be to get people to be much less reticent to believe someone when they're speaking about their lived experiences, their body, what they're feeling, right? And so I think that's that's critically important. So let's talk about social determinants of health. Um, from your vantage point, how do you see social determinants of health interlaced with DEI? Mm.
1: So social terms of health and DEI and health equity and all of it, you have to see the person in front of you, the patient in front of you, your coworker, yeah. whoever it is as a whole person. And I know yeah. when I started doing a lot of talks with different people here at, at my, at my hospital system, um, I would hear in particular white people say to me, Oh, Mika, I don't see color. I don't need any of this. And it, it took, and that's a typical thing to say. Yeah. And it took a while mm-hmm. for me to understand it. I want you to see me. Yes. It is okay. It do, It's, it's actually good that you see me who I am, where I came from all of it, because that's who I want to see in you. I'm not going to compare you as the next person I meet. You are a different person. So, so I think that's a lot of it. And then once we can see each other as, or see another person from the holistic view and different lens, then we can see all their social determinants and their health related social needs. If we don't, ask the question about who are you really what do you need how can i help there how can i be there for you um then we won't help them in the medical field and mm-hmm. the the part that i find really important about dei in the um in the healthcare setting is if we have a completely homogenous provider space then when they see someone who was other than them, they won't know what to do and what questions to ask. And, um, you know, I often, I talk a lot, because I realized something a couple of years ago when I was working on this was, and we're, I know we're gonna get to implicit bias, I know that, but there's the really important part about bi-directional bias. And mm-hmm. so the race concordant medicine is so important. Um, It is not only that you need uh, a black doctor to treat a black patient, or a Jewish doctor to treat a Jewish patient, or a gay doctor to treat a gay patient, it's not that. There doesn't have to be same all the time, but you need the diversity amongst you uh, in your coworkers and colleagues so that you can hopefully understand the patient. Because sometimes you have to understand that the patient also might feel something towards you.
0: So yes, so yes, how it works goes. both ways, it works both ways. Yeah. I, I appreciate um, you bringing that to the conversation. It is about the whole person. And it also takes, um, you know, when you when you say the whole person, it's really also identifying, recognizing um, the intersecting identities that makes up a person, because that also could play a role in how in which maybe the treatment um, is delivered. And, and, and so I, I, I appreciate how you really are educating us around um, how in which those social determinants um, have such. a a significant impact on um, the the medical field. Um, So this audience, well, many in this audience may know, if you've been following me for quite some time, that I speak a lot about the importance of, for me and my family, having a Black physician. Um, I have moved so many of my family members over to my Black Um, primary care physician because, and I have seen a tremendous difference. I will travel and I do travel two hours to see a Black woman dermatologist because there's not one in my immediate area. And if you have not even thought about the difference and, and how relevant that is, let me tell you, it is. And I'm sure um, Dr. Mika, you could, you know, certainly provide um, some some deeper clarity around why that's important. And you've already started to educate us around that. But this gets me to our next question, which is having you just talk a little bit more in detail about why is it necessary for the physician workforce to match the patient community? Can you elaborate a little bit deeper on that? I know you've already touched on it.
1: Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, so. You are traveling to a black doctor, not only because looking at another black face is making you feel comfortable, but looking at that black, black face is making you feel comfortable. And therefore you might be a little more honest about what's really going on. So even if you have a provider who is going to believe you, so there's no testimonial injustice, they believe you, but you don't feel comfortable opening up because there are some things that black women might understand. There are other things that they, so you are going to now express yourself in your colloquial terms and feel very comfortable about it. I know that when I walk into an environment, when we all walk into an environment, we all wear masks. So we will have a different (laughs) mask on if we are in a room that is other than a room that looks like us, the way Absolutely. we speak, we talk, the way we carry ourselves, and we want to feel comfortable with our provider that we can tell them every single thing, head to toe, what is going on. Because if we are not mm-hmm. honest, we will not get a good diagnosis. We will not get a good treatment. We um, uh, we want to make sure that if we did not take our medicine, that we feel comfortable with saying it didn't make me feel good. I forgot. I this without getting chastised with just a full understanding of I got it. That's why.
0: Right. Um,
1: of of if there's transportation issues if there's financial issues if there's social support issues whatever it is and those are some of the social determinants of health we want to be comfortable to talk to our providers about Absolutely. it there's um you know the the maternal morbidity mortality epidemic mm-hmm. throughout the US is is just appalling disgusting and depressing and what they really have found is that having race concordant providers OBGYNs and pediatricians and neonatologists, when that is the same, that has now, uh, uh decreased the mor- t- morbidity yes. mortality for the, for the women and the babies.
0: Yes. And that is huge. We're seeing such, and I'm glad that the conversation is, um, resurfacing in a way that allows more people to be educated, but the, the black maternal, um, you know, rate of of women being compromised is is astounding. It really is, especially as um, a Black woman of, of a daughter that is, you know, in her childbearing years and it and certainly hopes to have a family one day. So I I'm definitely keeping a close tab on what's happening in that regard. And I'm so glad that there are a number of people that are um, increasing awareness and educating folks around um, that that issue. So getting back to the workforce um, issue and how important it is for the workforce to also be a great representation of uh, the patient community. How, from your perspective, Dr. Mika, are racial and ethnic disparities within the US medical schools and graduate residency programs contributing um to a less diverse healthcare workforce or how is it even maybe helping perhaps what are some of the pros and cons of maybe what those institutions are doing to help address that challenge Mm -hmm.
1: well we all know what just happened the supreme court so now we we are not able to openly and publicly and on paper um say Mm -hmm. that we are including race as an important determinant Right. So we are pushing the fact that there should be a holistic view of, mm-hmm. the, of the person. But um, when you speak to a lot of people about affirmative action, their misunderstanding is that, so you're going to pick the Black person who is not as smart. And it's like, no, that has nothing to do with it. That's not what it's about. So it's been a difficult conversation to, to get people to that next level. Um, and I think that we will see in a couple of years, you know, four yeah. years. Medical school is four years. What what the uh, what the matriculation rate, what the yeah. numbers look like at that time. Um, but we need to have a workforce that mimics our population,
0: mm-hmm. and the only way mm-hmm. to do
1: that is to have uh, um, a diverse population in medical school. And um, I was talking to someone the other day about how not just in, it is important to have a workforce that's diverse so that you can keep each other on your toes and check each other, but in medical school as well, so that you are checking each other on different things you're reading. There are still many racist calculations in medicine. There are still many uh, uh, racist studies in medicine that we're beginning to unravel and we're beginning to get rid of. There's different things in the pulmonary world. There's different things in pediatrics. There's different things in your kidneys. And we're trying to, we're slowly unraveling all that. But if you don't have someone checking you and saying, wait, why do they think a black person's kidneys are different than a white person's kidneys? That is the way the calculation goes. So, so that's important to have to have that to have that there of having a diverse medical school. Um, the other thing was that there is a um, a black male medical student. Well, I'm sure he's a doctor at this point, but he was in medical school Oops. who created the uh, a book, a colorful yes. dictionary. I don't know what it's not dictionary. I can't remember what he what he called it, but on. Dermatologic diseases on people of color, and mm-hmm. so it was amazing that he did this because he was looking around, saying, "You know, scabies on one person is going to look different. Poison ivy on a white person is going to look different. On a Hispanic person, going to look different. On a black person, going to look." Uh, uh. So he yeah. ended up having pictures of all of these in his book, but we needed him. We needed yes. him to have done this, and and if if he also needed to see that there were other people who didn't know that there were differences. So he probably saw his white counterpart who didn't know that there was a difference of the way a rash would look and a rash was missed. And he said, I need to produce this to help you understand.
0: Yes. Yes. And that bringing that to this field is so critically important. I'm thinking of um, the, and the gentleman name escapes me and you probably know exactly who I'm talking about, but he's the one that has also brought heightened awareness of the pictorials of of people from a medical perspective. They always used to be um, people that are part of the, the, the the majority, you know, community, at least the U S majority. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he's been, you know, creating all of these graphics and these pictures to showcase people of color, right? Because we don't even see ourselves in a lot of those different, you know um, um, pictorials. And so I think that that also has created um, a great sense of um, of just acknowledging what kind of difference that can make. Um, yes, and the SCOTUS decision, the weight and the implications of that. I don't think people are really fully understanding the depth of how that's going to hurt us, and and I think that sometimes when you put it in context of life and death, you know, because we're talking about the medical realm, right? That makes a tremendous difference. And I'm also concerned about the fact that as as AI and technological um, technological advancements continue to um, to come on the scene. There's a lot of bias that's showing up within that process due to the developers, due to the lack of just awareness, due to people um, just, you know, not even having in their consideration set um, how they need to be considering a broad, diverse audience. And so um, that's something that I know I'm, I'm keeping a watch on. And it's, it's a little disconcerting right now. So
1: there's a documentary that aired on 60 Minutes a couple of years ago that was just exactly about that was just the lack of diversity within AI, whether it was mm-hmm. cameras, whether it was different, uh, noticing your eyes, noti- like putting your fingers on things. It, it ended up really affecting the medical field during COVID, um, yeah. during the height of COVID rather, Yes, um, because pulse ox, when you put the little thing on your finger, that mm-hmm. is much satur- oxygen saturation is there, um, it was picking up differently in Black people, yeah. depending on your skin complexion. And yep. so that was not something that was publicized, and a lot of hospitals were using the ones that made it very different in yes. people of lighter skin tone. So AI really is, as you're well aware, getting much deeper into the medical field and getting deeper into all of our lives. And unless we have... Um, people are not just making the AI image in their own image and in their own likeness, and it's in the likeness of
0: of everybody, then we will be in trouble, yeah absolutely. Um, there's a lot of great resources being shared and um, other contributions happening in the chat. And so I just wanted to um, draw people's attention there. Um, yeah, we've talked a lot about some of the bias that shows up in AI. In fact, one of our community members here who is um, always a part of our community continues to show up week after week, Mikhail. He, he mentioned, he talked a lot about that um, from the from an AI perspective in one of our, our previous shows. And so I don't know if we can find that and source it, but if so, it may be great to actually place a link to that replay into the chat for this community. But yes, lots to consider, lots to think about. Really, it can be a matter of life and death. And so, um, you know, if you're sitting on the fence thinking, well, why should I really care about this? Why should I really be concerned about, you know, the SCOTUS decision that's now disrupting a lot of um, organizations and a lot of, of people's peace? This is why. Conversations like this, this is why. So there is a program called Visiting Diversity Student Scholarship um, that's actually at the the Community Medical Center. And I want you to share a little bit about that program because maybe it can inspire some members of this community to try to see how they can replicate, modify, because it is making a a difference, my understanding, from a health equity perspective. So share a little bit about that for us.
1: So we realized that we didn't have enough Black doctors here. And you kind of look, well, where's the pool coming from? Well, black doctors come from black residents or people of color. And then that comes from medical students. So it's all, you have to build that. Um, But people need to know that we want them here. And yes. so how do people how do people find us? So so that's where the thought came from. Um when you're in medical school, one of the you're you go around and do rotations at different hospitals, um, but you don't get it doesn't get funded. So you can travel to California at, nobody pays for it. You have to pay for it yourself. So we realized that in order for people to come here to our little town in South Jersey, we needed to give them a stipend to come here stay here in an apartment for a month, eat, nice. live, transport, whatever. So um, we have the student diversity scholarship. They The student um, has to be part of a diverse community, whatever it is. Um, and they have to write a little essay about how their diversity matters to them mm-hmm. as being a part of the medical community and how they can make a difference. And some of the essays have been heartwarming and lovely and just they might be the only doctor in their family yeah. and, and you know, and they have a lot riding on them and their community. We've had um, uh, um, Black people, Hispanic people, um, someone from the LGBTQ community, someone who's <laughs> Middle Eastern and just just said, this is where I'm from. This is my why I'm part of the yeah. diverse community and why it's important. And so um, we've done this for three years now, and it's been extremely meaningful um and so far one student has gone from a medical student to a resident so we we kept one and this is we're now in the interviewing season
0: so we'll see if we are able to recruit any of the students that came here last year. I love that. I love that. That is, We need programs like that happening all over in all communities. And so thank you for sharing that. Hopefully it will provide some inspiration. So we're going to be transitioning momentarily to take your questions or your contributions. And if you would like to share your your question directly, then um, if you're part of the Zoom community, you can use the raise hand feature that lets me know that you are willing to be added to the spotlight and uh, we will give you permission to unmute yourself and share directly. If not, and you want to place your question or comments into the chat, we welcome that as well. If you are watching via LinkedIn, and um, you have a question as well, but you can go to the comment section, place your question. My team is pulling that into our Zoom community here, and we will um, certainly try to address as many of those questions as possible. So while you are thinking and percolating on maybe those questions and curiosities, I'm going to go to the next question to give you time to really formulate your thoughts. And um, so this question for you, Mika, is um, really just drawing on your experience. I want to understand from your vantage point, what is the best way to implement implicit bias training and transparency discussions for trainees, for faculty, for providers. You know, we we reference implicit bias, and I definitely want to make sure we spend some time there because it's so important to this broad conversation.
1: Yeah. So it's not easy, and it's going to definitely depend upon your your space and the people that you're working in and working with. Um, The first step and the hardest step is starting the conversation. So yeah. making sure that the language is easy to discuss um I always state that I grew up in a household where talking about race, talking about who you really are, talking about your history was on the table every night. You know, it was an mm-hmm. easy conversation. So I feel very comfortable in that discussion. Some people don't. Some people feel very closed off. So First step is just have little bits of conversation because you need to know the vocabulary. You need to know what's appropriate, what's not. You need to be able to stop the line and say, "I didn't appreciate that word." So it's just starting the conversation is number one, and then you go through training of of different. Impl- there's tons of different implicit bias trainings that that exist, um, but be, making sure that you're able to have the discussion with people during it, in the middle of it, afterwards. Um, It is important that people understand what assumptions are. Um, It's important that people have the emotional intelligence to be able to say, no, I don't do, no, no, no. There is no, no, I don't do that. We all have implicit bias. It is about how does that affect our existence and how do we walk within that? Um, But I think the biggest part was trying to, or, or two parts, was one, trying to help people understand that just because I'm saying there's implicit bias doesn't mean I'm saying you're racist. And that nice. was very difficult for a lot of people to, to get that. And so that was a conversation. Um the other part, and I was thinking of a of a of a comparison between um the 70s of when we were working on see something, say something, if we see yep. a man abusing a woman, if we see something inappropriate, say stop, say something about it. I don't think that we help each other enough in the workforce. If we see someone that is saying something that's hurtful, if we hear a microaggression, that no matter who we are to either party, the person who feels the victim or the person who is speaking out, any bystander should be able to say, hey, I'm sure they didn't like that because that felt a little funny or taking the person out the room or anything like that. But we have to work on being... Bystanders who are present for each other so that we build a community of support around all of this.
0: Absolutely, yeah, that bystander allyship is is critical, and we know that allyship is not just um, any type of action; it's useful action, and it is action. So. Um, Thank you. Thank you for that. So we do have a question from one of our community members. Um, This is coming from Ann White. and thanks for joining us. Um, Given that there aren't always Black physicians in the OBGYN field for Black patients, what is being done to ensure that non-Black physicians and healthcare providers are more aware of, in tune with, educated about the needs of their Black female patients in order to lower the morbidity rates? Great question, Ann. What do you say to that? that? There are many states,
1: uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, California, and New Jersey, just to name a few of them, that are mandating implicit bias training for all maternal child health providers. So that's doctors, that's midwives, that's that's nurses, that they must have it on an annual basis, not just one and done, but they must continually have it. And as part of their... Um, credentialing and privileging at a hospital, but also as part of their medical license that they must prove that they've had this. So it is not all, but it is a step in
0: the right direction. Yep. Thanks for that. Step in the right direction. Okay. This next question comes from Jeff Hutchinson in Maryland, and he's actually a part of the LinkedIn Live community. And his question is, can you share a successful story of engaging with a group or individual who didn't value DEIB?
1: Mm. Okay. That's an interesting one. So we, um, you know, our hospital is a board, a group of board of trustees, and we started off a subcommittee of, of the board and I run the subcommittee and it's D E I J sub. And I did add the J cause I like the J. So the J is yeah, important. So we have a DEIJ subcommittee. Um, and it's been, and we talk about implicit bias. We talk about specifically about medical issues with breast cancer, um, whether it's um, other health equity issues, maternal morbidity or anything else, we we have those deep discussions there. And um, we've had LGBTQ discussions. We've had discussions about, uh, the last one was about the disparities of the way we treat uh, um, drug abusers and and drug addicts and the way that that Mm -hmm. is treated in the emergency department as well as in public. Um, I, I think that many of these people many of the the board members in this committee have never had these open honest discussions yeah very safe space um and we we make it so that we really encourage a space where nobody feels judged and the Mm -hmm. way i end every meeting is please go home and talk about this um to to encourage that so i've had many of the board members coming back to me and just saying Mika, I talked to my wife and we had a really good conversation or wow, I bumped into somebody else and I was thinking about microaggressions. I know there was someone yeah. else who I was saying that, um, uh, when I walk into a store, I am very cognizant of who says hi to me, of, of whether I am acknowledged and that struck them quite yeah intensely. And so now they think about who else is in the room. So mm. it, it doesn't sound big, but it's just these little, little things that talking about it has made them start to put that into their path and and start to put that into their consciousness. And that to me is, is a big deal.
0: It is a big deal. It makes a tremendous difference. And you use, you know, you talked about sometimes folks may feel judged and, and I have found that that is a clear um, way to cause people to disengage. Right. And so, you know, I often share that the guilting, shaming, blaming, and judging, you know, we we need to, we need to make sure that we are not approaching these conversations, um, in, in that manner, if our intent is to really try to get people to engage. And so I love that that's part of kind of your approach and your, your, your process as well. Um, because it then positions them to be more reticent to, um, you know, to to be less inclined to not go back and interrogate, you know, their own thinking, their own thoughts. And so um and, and we have to do that. I want to I want to go back to the health equity piece. I'm not seeing any any questions right now. So I'm going to keep my questions going. But again, the opportunity is there while we still have some time left. But I want to go back to the health equity because I realize that medical um, facilities, they certainly have to be thinking, at least they should be thinking about health um, equity. But there are a lot of just individuals that just care deeply about the people in their community. that care deeply about the work of DEIB, and they just want to be in spaces and places where um, equity and inclusion is something that is is valued. And so, for at the individual level, what can individuals do to help advance health equity, and and help us to understand why it's all of our responsibility and not just the responsibility of those medical, you know, of the medical community?
1: Yeah. Um... That's a tough one to, to make sure that people understand why it's important. And, and I guess that's, it's going to sound flip, but it's, why not? It's, it's, we are a community of people all together. So I, I need to help you. So if, if the lady next door cannot get to the doctor's office because her neighbor, her, she doesn't have her daughter around or whomever around to drive her, then I guess that will be my job to do that for my neighbor. Like we have to go back to that to help. Yeah.
0: That. yeah. Um,
1: if if you see someone who's who's struggling and they need an advocate, it is our job to do that for each other. We we have to that this is not it's non negotiable for for that. Um, in the health equity space, um, life is easier if we're all healthy. I mean, this sounds silly, but it just it just is. But we're never we're not all going to be healthy. We're all going to ha- something is going to happen. That is the way it works but i want everyone to be as empowered as educated to make their own decisions with their own body that is what's most important and i want to support you in whatever it is um you want your treatment for cancer you don't want your treatment for cancer i will give you all the information and support you and i want to make sure that everybody around you understands that as well um mm. and i think that you know, talking about whether it's race concordance, whether it's implicit bias, all of that healthcare literacy and understanding what you're reading and understanding what you're told is really important. And anyone at any time who knows me a little bit knows they can pick up the phone and call me and say, Mika, can you explain this? This is what my doctor said. And I get those phone calls all the time. Um, and that saddens me because that person didn't feel comfortable enough to talk to their doctor about it. But nonetheless, I am here for my neighbor to be that person to assist and bridge the gap between health, for health literacy and health education if needed.
0: Hmm. So knowing that that health literacy and education is so critical, what are you seeing, Mika, um, that has proven to be quite successful in um, generating greater awareness around health, health literacy. I know in my community, our, our main hospital system every year, they have a Black Health mm-hmm. Summit, and it, it really does produce great crowds of people who are able to, to walk away feeling more empowered about understanding more about their bodies, their health, and their options. What are you seeing that um, has been some successful strategies or initiatives?
1: Um, I definitely agree that health fairs are, and trying to make everything fun is, is an important part of it. Yeah. Um, one thing I really like is, is having, um, mobile vans and being able just to drive right into the yeah. community, um, and, and right into their space, somebody else's space so that they're not coming into ours, that it's, we're going to their space to whether it's doing preventative care, taking the time to have those conversations, um in their own neighborhood i had a wonderful conversation uh, with a group of women at a church um about their breast journey um and we were go- it it ended up going to a whole deep level that we ended up crying because someone's mother died of breast cancer and it just got to this whole thing yeah. but, but we it, it was i was in their space And that really led them to a place where they felt easier and more comfortable to ask questions. So I think we have to meet people where they are um, more often and not just expect um, uh, people to come to us.
0: Yeah. Go to the people. I, I love that. And you mentioned church. I will say I have seen that as also a really effective um, way of helping to educate, you know, the the the, the general population. I know that, that my church is like every quarter we have someone from the medical profession to come in and they're just talking about whatever it is um, that's, you know, because there's a lot of different um, like, you know, breast cancer awareness month. So they're constantly providing education to the body. And I think that that makes a big difference um, as well. And so I'm glad that you brought the the, the church up. Um, So what are you seeing on the horizon for just the medical industry in general um, as it relates to deepening um, the value set of of inclusion and equity into its everyday operations? Are there any new kind of innovative ways that you are um, hopeful that's going to come to fruition? In the future
1: nothing new that i could think of that that's Mm -hmm. the truth um but i'm going to combine that question with the last one also i think that we need to do a better job of supporting each other to get preventative care because that's really where it is and there's so many so many pieces of our culture where people say well i just don't want to know and there's there's breast there's cervical there's prostate there's cardiac there is, um, um, colon, there's everything that you can test to, to get early detection and early warning. And I think that our community is not as good as doing that as we should be, yeah. um, uh, yeah. which is also included in, in mental health, all of it yes. that we need to support each other to normalize, um, preventative medicine and normalize, um, Talking about it and taking care of our own bodies. I think that's where we need to be, whether it's in church, whether it's, you know, barbershop, whether it's grocery store, wherever it is, that's something that we can do to help each other.
0: Yeah, I love that you mentioned mental health because we know that that impacts so many of us, right, in, in so many different ways, especially um, these days where we've seen such an increase in, in, in mental health conversations and education. Um, And a lot of that had to do with um, the pandemic, right, and and all that we had to navigate. And so what would you say or some strategies or initiatives that um, the the corporate world, businesses should be thinking about um, as it relates to mental health these days and supporting their employee base?
1: So at one hospital I worked at, we did mandatory mental health screening. So and it was private. It was anonymous. It was just you and this person. Um, yeah. and you had to do a thirty minute within the first thirty minute session with this person within the first six months that you started. And let's just have a baseline. And then it was and that was free, no cost whatsoever. And then it was up to you if you continued that. And if let's you continued that, none of your supervisors were aware but the first 30 minutes was just free. And that took away that stigma of picking up the phone and calling a provider. And that took away the fear because you're already on the phone with the person. The person says, do you want to do this again or not? It's up to you. Um, And you're not telling anybody that you're doing this. Everybody knows you're on the phone with them because your boss said you have to. So, so it was, (laughs) it was a really good way to to normalize that conversation and break down those barriers. So I I think that's an excellent, excellent way to do things.
0: Yeah, I love that. Breaking the stigma is such a big part of of us becoming more uh, healthy as it relates to our, our our mental capacity, our mental health. And so I love that more and more people are being vulnerable and talking about it because it gives others permission to feel safe to do the same. And, um, and we can't ignore this. I mean, it is impacting all ages, all demographics. And um, so we, we need to just make sure we continue to amplify this conversation. Um, so we have maybe about four minutes left, um, Dr. Neblet. And what I would love to do is just give you full reign of maybe sharing what have I not Asked you about today that you're feeling a lot of energy around that you feel is important to socialize. Um, what's on the horizon for you? So, so, so close us out by sharing some additional information that you think would be really useful to socialize.
1: So, um, one of the things really on my mind is is still dealing with breast cancer as we're coming up to Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yes, um, and I think that you know maternal health is, is really a big deal, but also black, more black women die of breast cancer than any other race. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not just about getting your mammogram. It's getting your mammogram nice and early. Um, and I think that, uh, I will be open and honest. No one loves a mammogram. It's just, it's not, no one does. Um, no one runs for it, but Mm -hmm. it is the preventative way to get this done. It's the only way we can do it. Um, and, and, and I think that if we don't support each other and talk about it, ask your yeah. girlfriends, ask your wife, your niece, your cousin, whomever, have you gotten your mammogram this year? Yep. You know, make sure you're on time with it. I think that considering we're coming up in October, I think this is an important time to do that and, and, and kind of do that extra check-in and care about mm-hmm. each other and normalize those conversations with each other. Um mm-hmm. I think that would be great if we were able to decrease some of these statistics. Um, whether it's maternal maternal uh, morbidity, mortality, breast cancer, any of it, it, it it's
0: time. Yeah, it's it's been time, and that goes back to your point earlier regarding the preventative um, conversations that need to um, happen more frequently. Um, so that there's greater chance for for treatment options to be uh, plentiful um, for those individuals that may find themselves um, in need of of care. I am delighted that you spent some time with us today, Mika. Thank you so much for sharing your insight. Thank you for uh, generating a rich conversation that I know we're probably all going to spend some time um, reflecting on. And um, I'm just grateful that um, people like yourself, um, are in this space, because we need more people that look like you that are in this space. And so you are certainly an inspiration to many, and, and we're just grateful. So thank you all too for joining today's Intentional Conversations podcast. If you found this to be useful, we hope that you will take a moment to complete that, that survey. It's just a few couple short questions and we've placed that link into the chat for you it just allows us to have feedback as we continue to um, enhance this experience for all and um, have a safe and wonderful weekend and we look forward to seeing you next friday for another intentional conversations podcast thank you so much thank you dr neblin thank you